This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Now it's my pleasure to introduce the music therapy team serving UCSF's Benioff Children's Hospital uh, with Matt Logan, Brianna Negretti, and Jenny Goldhammer for their session, More Than Words, The Essential Role of Music Therapy in Pediatric Healthcare. In integrative medicine, we say that the whole is always greater than the sum of the parts, so I couldn't be more excited to have this amazing co-led panel. Let me tell you more about them. So at UCSF, Matt directs the Music Therapy Internship Program, leads projects for Child Life Services Department, and also sees patients in the uh, hematology, oncology, bone marrow transplant, and pediatric rehabilitation units. Matt played in jazz and rock bands since he was 12 years old, owning too many guitars, and these days you may find him at a rock show in San Francisco or at a park bench reading, reading a book. Brianna serves in the intensive care nursery and cardiac units where she loves empowering families to bond with their children through music. In addition to being a music therapist for over a decade, Brianna has led coordination efforts for an organization that helps to certify and train music therapists from all over the world to work with premature infants. Jenny co-chairs the Child Life Department's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee and serves the intensive care, transitional care, and medical surgical units where she enjoys meeting each patient's current state through play and music. Jenny is also passionate about serving a nonprofit organization that educates teens and families on social justice and community service. In the Bay Area, you will find Jenny climbing staircases or reading a book by the water. Please join me in extending a warm welcome to Matt, Brianna, and Jenny. Take it away. Thank you for that introduction. It was lovely. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt, and uh, I'm really excited to be here and uh, excited to be here with my team. We are going to talk to you about music therapy in the uh, pediatric um, hospital here at UCSF. Uh, we've got a lot of fun examples and some audio clips and maybe some video at the end. So um, I guess without further ado. So there I am walking down the hallways of the ICU with my guitar on my back. I have my back full of instruments and I'm going to my next patient and suddenly a doctor goes, um, I need you in here right now. I said, okay, well, I'm either in trouble or they really need music therapy services. And I wasn't in trouble. So I got pulled into a room and I noticed sitting on the bed, there was a little six-year-old girl with her legs dangling off the edge, these big brown eyes. There was a physical therapist sitting behind her, having his hand on his back, telling her, we're going to need you to sit here for at least 15 minutes. There was at least five medical staff all standing around her in a semicircle, literally just staring at her in this silent room. And she had these tears in her eyes and she was just staring straight ahead. I asked the doctor um, what the referral was for and what was going on as I walked in the room. And he said, we need her to sit at the edge of her bed for at least 15 minutes in order to help support her recovery. This is a crucial part of her recovery process. This isn't an option. She has to do this. So I looked at him and said, okay, so in a situation where this little girl had no control, music therapy offers control in a situation. So I take out my guitar, I introduce myself to her and I let the music do the work. I pull out of my bag and I say, you know, this looks like the best situation to make a band. 
and suddenly she kind of looks at me and she nods. And I said, we're going to make a band with all your doctors here in the room. What do you think about that? And suddenly I saw a little smile. I said, all right, great. So I have a tambourine here. Which doctor is going to play the tambourine? She looked over and pointed to one. I said, great, our tambourine player. Pulls out a shaker. She found a different doctor. Her, wonderful, gave her a shaker. Went through different instruments in my bag, giving her the choice to decide which staff member got to play this instrument, all while still achieving her goal of sitting at the edge of the bed, but now shifting her focus onto music, making her choose who was going to be in the member of her band and what they were going to do. I started to sing a song and she got to point to each staff member who got to solo by themselves and she directed them fast. You play slow, really loud, and then really quiet. She gave, she had control in this situation through music. She was able to control her environment while still sitting at the edge of her bed for at least 15 minutes. We went from a room of silence with everyone staring at her to people smiling, dancing, creating music together and engaging and building a relationship with this little girl using music therapy. At the end of the session, she's smiling and making eye contact with everybody. We almost had to force her to go back into bed to go lay back down again because she just was having such a great time. Over the course of her hospitalization, day by day, she got better and better. And music therapy was a crucial part of her treatment team in order to help her do that. We used music in order to help support her goals. So for that example, music was a great motivator to get her sitting at the edge of the bed for that long period of time, giving her control and autonomy in that situation. The next day we were working on walking down the hallway we used drums, as you'll see in this photo, as a motivator. So I would put them in different spaces down the hallway and she was encouraged to walk towards them, giving her something to look forward to. We would get there, we would rock out and have a great jam session and she would walk towards the next one, achieving her goal of walking and using music as a motivator to do so. As the days went on, she started to sing. She received more self-confidence. She was singing louder. She was being proud of her choices that she was making. She was playing shakers. We worked on hand-eye coordination, alternating her hands back and forth. Every day, she got stronger, and music was a way that gave her control in this situation, and she also was able to go home and thrive. Music therapy opened the door to help her recover. And this is just one example of how music therapy plays an essential role in the pediatric hospital setting. Thanks, Brianna. Uh, what a story. Um, people sometimes ask me or, or suggest like music therapy is a new field. And, um, you know, on one hand, uh, as as a part of like an established healthcare center like this, it kind of is. But people have been thinking about music and its healing properties and it's, and, and it's kind of this power behind music for a long time. So um, as you see, we're going to talk about some old Greek guys uh, just very quickly. Um, first, in like 525 BC, Pythagoras is kind of hanging out thinking like figuring out, oh, this is how we're going to figure out the hypotenuse of a triangle. But he's also discovering, oh, okay, the music is kind of like math. There's this order to it. There's this predictability to it. And it's kind of like mirrored in the cosmos and then, and then i'm discovering the overtone series of music and he's writing about this wow there's something about music and in 400 bc so uh you know a uh, century later um plato is actually coming up with some 
some ideas about music and saying, you know, th these scales are better than these scales and it will help, uh, uh, you know, people feel better in this way or help people make people feel worse in this sense. Um, he's also becoming an early advocate for music education, believing that it strengthens the soul and opens the soul and allows um, uh, uh, students who are, who are taking in music and learning music to just have a more graceful being. I like to think of them at being at like early PTA meetings saying we need our orchestras, although uh, obviously those instruments were not um, <laughs> around just yet. And then not too long after that, around 340 BC, uh, Aristotle gets in the game too, and he's noticing and, and, and writing about how music has this cathartic um, effect and can really help to uh, purify the soul. So these are some early ideas about music that are, you know, actually written ideas that we can go back to. Sometimes I like to imagine these three, if they'd been living at the same time, maybe they would have had a band together. Maybe they'd sound like ZZ Top. Um, I don't know, maybe that's just my own uh, fun fantasy. But of course, they didn't discover music. Um, music was around long before uh, these old Greeks, which also might be a good band name. Um, what you see here, oh, just a couple images. Um, music has been around for, uh, you know, probably as long as we've been around. The oldest instruments ever found were these, I think the four oldest instruments ever found were bone flutes that were, you know, you know, definitely, I mean, these are flutes you see it in the top, right, um, top left, you see a, a spectacular piece of cave art. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence for, um, there being music in these spaces too. And we know that because the, where the cave art is, it's in the rooms or the, the caves, um, that have the best acoustics. So they were very likely using, uh, music in their, rituals as well. And we've got a lot of artwork from ancient cultures, uh, plenty of evidence for music and um, pairing the pairing of music and ritual in archaeological sites um, around the world and in the surviving, you know, artwork. Uh, we also, you know, there are a lot of indigenous cultures that are still using music um, in healing practices. They're using it for uh, the healing of individuals, for the healing of the, the group, for the society, and in some cases, even healing Mother Earth. So as we've heard from Matt, music has been around for many, many, many years, but it became more officially known as music therapy really after World War I and World War II. Musicians would go into the veterans' hospitals as the soldiers were recovering and play music for them. And they started to realize there was a lot of physiological responses that patients were having to the music. Their heart rate would go down. They were more relaxed. They had decreased stress. And so they decided to start more of an association about musicians going to veterans' hospitals as they realized the impact that music could have. This started to expand to other populations as well, and there was more of a body of research that came from this. People started to really look at what exactly was happening when they provided music services and when they played music for these patients. So after they were in veterans hospitals, it expanded more into psychiatric facilities. And that's when really the body of research started to increase more and more about the effects of music therapy and what it can do to people. Really in medical music therapy, 
some of the very first research was done in dentistry. So they researched the effects of listening to music while you're receiving dental procedures and on your heart rate and oxygen saturation level. And the, the results are pretty good. So next time you're at the dentist, feel free to listen to some music because it actually can help with your heart rate and help decrease your stress. So feel free to do that next time. It's research-based, so it should work for you too. Music therapists work with all walks of life, from working in hospitals, whether it's with adults or with children, um, working in jails, homeless shelters, schools, assisted living facilities, hospice facilities. The list goes on and on. All music therapists have their degrees in music therapy from a university, and there are about 5,000 music therapists just here in the United States. After your schooling, you are required to do a six-month full-time internship where you do music therapy full-time and really immerse yourself in the profession and see everything you've been learning in school put into action with patients and families. All music therapists after their name have the letters MTBC. And what that means is music therapists board certified. That is how you know when you're working with a board certified music therapist, which means they've gone to school for it. They have done their six month internship and they've also taken a test showing completion of all of their coursework. So that's how you know if you are working with a board certified music therapist. Um, all three of us at UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital, San Francisco Mission Bay. So we are at the new campus right across next to the Chase Center. Um, the three of us are full time and we work in all of our inpatient units at the hospital. So we work with in our NICU with premature infants all the way until young adults and everyone and anyone in between those ages. So we work all of the inpatient units in our hospital. We are very fortunate and love our jobs. So our our goal today is to uh, take a pretty high level um, look at the work that we do and share some of the science behind it while also, um, you know, connecting that to some stories and some examples. Okay. And we could start this in a number of different places. Like Brianna said, we work in a lot of different areas and indeed music is such a such a um, attractive research category that uh, there are lots of different lines of research and you know there's music therapy there's cognitive neuroscience that's looking at um, you know what's happening in the brain with music and there's uh, uh, you know immunology and, and the uh, responses that you have in that way but we are going to start with a concept actually a state of being called flow a flow state um, a flow state is a state of consciousness that's it's been, um, you know, theorized about, talked about, understood for centuries, really, but looked at in more of a modern psychological sense um, recently by a guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he identified some characteristics of this flow state, and I imagine you might resonate with these. You're, you're going to recognize um, this state, and you probably just by saying flow, you might already know what I'm talking about. So one characteristic is the sense of effortlessness. Another is um, a strong sense of control with the right amount of challenge. Another characteristic is this melting together of action and consciousness. So acting without really having to think. And that's why I've got 
um, an, an image of somebody surfing. The decisions are so rapid um, in surfing and, and a lot of act, other activities um, that when you're in the zone, it just happens. It's like when you're watching uh, the Warriors play basketball and they're really moving the ball well. You know, it looks like they're just acting without even thinking. Another characteristic is altered perception of time, so time dilation. Something, an activity that actually takes 10 minutes um, might feel like, you know, it it was an hour or, um, you know, vice versa. Something that happens in, uh, you know, um, it, you know, three hours can go by in like, and it seems like 10 minutes. Uh, so it's that time dilation. And I know you all know that experience. In fact, this might be a good time to uh, open up that chat and tell me um, what are some flow activities? Participants, when have you experienced that flow state? We are going to connect this back to music and connect it back to music therapy, but I want to get some examples going in the chat. Hosts and panelists doing mosaics. Great. Surfing. Yoga. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? Let's get maybe a couple more. Thinking of writing. Art collage. Yeah. Awesome, Gary. Writing fiction when it's going well. <laughs> yeah, right? Knitting. Yeah, it's those activities where we can... Oh, yes, knitting, says Jenny. Um, those activities where we really get into the zone. And yeah, time can pass um, just so quickly. I experienced that in a couple of my music therapy sessions today. I'm hanging out and playing and look at the clock. It's like, oh, kid, I got to go. <laughs> I've been here for an hour. It can... Oh, kitty's knitting right now. Awesome. Very good. Um, yeah. All of these activities, athletics too, rock climbing. Um, another one would be like uh, skin to skin when, when parents and caregivers are taking care of infants and in this really intimate space and paying attention and uh, becoming attuned to one another. Um, yeah, these are, are really powerful states. And in fact, uh, there's a lot going on in the brain when we are in these states. Um, sorry, I'm like conducting this talk with my pen. Uh, so a flow state is just psychologically rewarding. It's intrinsically motivating. And um, I'm going to connect it back to music right now. Music happens, it affects every part of the brain, essentially. Okay. And so Jenny will talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But what's going on in a flow state specifically is um, something called transient hypofrontality. And that's when uh, the parts, parts of the frontal cortex, like, shut down or slow down, which that's our inner critic. It's the part that's, that's judging everything that we do. And that's what allows us to be in this flow state. Now there's a lot going on uh, from a neurochemical standpoint as well. Uh, dopamine and norepinephrine are released and that's related to attention. You get a little energy boost, heightened awareness, uh, and you just feel good, which I don't know anyone who's against that. Um, there's a, a rush of endorphins, which um, helps with decreasing tension, decreasing pain. That's important in the hospital, right? And in increased uh, feelings of pleasure. Um, serotonin as well is released, which um, causes or helps with improving mood. And then also oxytocin. Uh, a great example of that is the skin-to-skin -skin contact or that we were talking about earlier or other social flow 
um, experiences like group singing, group music making, uh, uh, activities like that, playing in an orchestra or a band. And oxytocin is associated with prosocial behaviors, bonding, empathy, um, and even modulating fear and anxiety. And so flow comes into our music therapy practice in a lot of ways because all, all, many people can experience a flow state while just listening to music, being engaged with music in a lot of, in a number of different ways can cause that flow experience, whether you're at a concert or, um, you know, listening to a favorite record or dancing, um, with a special someone that can be a flow state, right? And we, as music therapists become trained, we get trained in how to induce that and sustain that and leverage that, um, for additional therapeutic aims. We're going to listen to an example of, uh, a flow state and I don't know if every any there are any like hip hop or rap fans out there but that's all sometimes uh, your skills can be referred to as flow and we're going to listen to a hip hop example this patient um, was having a hard time lots of pain lots of anxiety had been in the hospital for quite a while and even had a bit of a of a negative reputation uh, around the units 18 17 or 18 year old kid just because he was in a bad mood and he was not feeling good about being in the hospital and was in pain. Um, but came out that he was a clarinet player, um, liked music, uh, wanted to learn piano. And, um, well, why don't we listen to the song and I'll talk more about that. So this was composed by the patient. We'll call him by his, uh, hip hop name, big D. You might, Coming straight from Benioff Children's, it's your boy, Big D, with a new hit song I like to call, My Time in the Hospital. One, two, three, hit it! My name is Darren, I'm in the gown. Gee, I forgot my pizza, they're making me frown. Been sitting right here, it's been too many weeks, but I have a sick piano and my skills are on fleek. My tunes are groovy as I let the beat drop Got a list of favorite homies with my nurses on top I take daily walks and I see familiar faces They try to talk to me but I gotta run places Tico's on the weekdays, they try to exercise But every time they come in I devise a new disguise Past the time here, I slowly get near The time I need to, yeah, finally get in here In order for that, I need to eat And I can eat anything for weeks to be Got an appetite problem and I wanna go home But the docs want me here before I go roam Soon I'll be out and I'll be free And hope forever I'll be totally carefree Pretty cool, right? You did a nice job. And so multiple components of this project um, took place within a flow state. It was while he was composing the music, while he was writing the lyrics. And, you know, there's an, a, an additional benefit to that where he got to express. He wasn't a very uh, verbal processor, but when writing lyrics for his song, he was able to clarify his goals. He's got to eat to get out of the hospital. He was acknowledging that he didn't want to be there and participate in therapies, even though he knew he needed to. And 
there was a flow state in the performance of this um, when you know when it came time to record, and so there are all of those uh, neurochemical benefits that we just discussed, and then um, the ongoing benefits of changed perception of who this child was on the units and everybody else who, who worked with him. They're like, oh, um, he's not a problem patient. He's he's somebody going through something really difficult, and you know he's he's an artist. There's there's um, uh, an aesthetic excitement to, to what he created and produced and his nurses got excited about that and, and supported him, congratulated him on that project. And, you know, he ended up doing what he needed to do and got to go home. Flow also exists within improvisational uh, music therapy and um, singing songs in so many different ways. And I, the reason I included this picture is, is just a great example of someone who's obviously going through um, cancer treatment, which is not a pleasant experience. Uh, it, it really isn't. There's a lot of um, uh, physiological and psychological stress that, that just goes along with cancer treatment and chemotherapy. However, what you see in this is that there's also still a lot of room for joy, for families to have experiences together um, that are, you know, positive memories. Can somebody come away from the hospital with positive memories? Well, the answer is yes. And a lot of times that happens um, in music therapy or art therapy or in any of other of our other creative arts um, uh, offerings. And, and it just kind of changes the tint of, of that hospital experience. And, and a lot of times it, it kind of shocks me when I talk to families a year later, what they're talking about and what they continue to talk about and what the child remembers uh, are those positive memories and those, those positive associations with having these expressive means available to them and these, um, you know, much more pleasant times that, that, that helped with their pain and didn't just make the bad stuff less bad, but also uh, provided some really fulfilling moments and joyful moments, unlike um, you see here. So uh, if I could sum that up in a slide, it would be uh, part of what we're doing is increasing positive experience to counter the negative experiences that are inevitable in a hospital. And we know um, that stress is bad for us. It's bad for us psychologically. It's bad for us physically. It's bad for our immune systems and a lot of other areas of physiological function. And so if we can decrease anything we can do to decrease stress, um, it's going to have an actual uh, benefit on their health. And that is, uh, I mean, that ties into the, the, um, the theme of this whole series that Selena is putting on that mind body connection. Uh, so, I'll just say it one more time. Decreased st stress equals increased health. And that's tr as true in the hospital as it is anywhere else. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Jenny. And I'm going to talk a little bit about um, some of the elements of the psychology of music therapy. You can see me featured in this beautiful picture. Uh, this was a group that we used to do pre-COVID with some of our little ones in our intensive care unit, where we'd go out into the hallway and do uh, parent and kid music time. It was awesome. Um, so more to come on that in a little bit. Um, I 
want to talk about kind of three areas. So we're going to do nonverbal expression, play, and self-concept, and then kind of tie it all together. Um, so when we think about nonverbal expression, um, this could involve patients who are non-speaking or nonverbal at baseline, uh, patients who have limited language, patients who speak a different language than us, um, even with really incredible interpreter services that we have. If a patient's primary language is not English, and for their therapist it is, I think that just in, intrinsically changes the dynamic of the relationship and how the interactions go. So one of the really nice things about using music and instruments is that we don't, you know, the title of our, of our, of our talk, right? You don't have to use words. You can also use the instruments and use the music itself as a way of communicating, as a way of expressing. Um, I'll also note, like, I'm, I'm a really good therapist, in my personal opinion, and I don't always want to talk about my feelings. And I'm sure many of you have had that experience in your life. Sometimes we just don't want to go there. Or for many people, they can't. They don't have the words to put to the experience that they've had. And so using instruments, um, the sensory experience even, of like hitting something, tapping something, playing something, having an object to put those emotions into can be incredibly effective. Um, also the use of metaphor. So finding ways to distance from maybe not saying this is me, this is my experience, this is how I feel, but uh, working with a teenager who really likes a song and looking at the lyrics and how might the character in this song feel or respond and how might this artist deal with their things versus how might you. Um, I remember I worked with a kid once who loved uh, Michael Buble and she wanted to show me one of his music videos and I asked her what was going on in the video and she goes, can't you see? He's like, by all these people, like no one will leave him alone. He never gets any privacy. And like literally on the screen is Michael Buble sitting in a room by himself. <laughs> and it was just so telling that like, this is what she's feeling right now. And so our sessions then became, well, how is Michael Buble feeling today? And like, what do you think he might do in this situation? And it was hilarious. She'd be like, well, Michael Buble would do this. And that was how we, we worked. We did it through that character um, of the artist versus like through her directly. And then kind of coming back to our patients who may not have access to language, uh, this is really music therapy can be a way that they can be heard and show what they're capable of. And I want to give a, an example of this. So I worked with a five-year-old patient, a little girl who came in with pretty significant brain swelling after a, uh, I think it was a viral infection. And I was initially consulted for agitation. And uh, I remember being in this room and all the lights would be off and I would be singing there, standing there singing very quietly, playing low stimulation music on my guitar. And the best case scenario was she would fall asleep. And that was kind of like the magic moment where you could see her calm. Um, at the time, she did not have language. Her muscles were incredibly tight and contracted. She was showing new movement disorder, um, uncontrolled movements. And we also really weren't sure how much she was in there at the time. What was her new cognitive functioning? Were there going to be lasting effects from this illness? Um, how much was she aware? How much would she be able to interact with her environment? Because at the time, it was really just, can we keep her calm? And can we keep her comfortable? About a month, five weeks later, everything kind of shifted. And I started to notice that when I played music that was really calm and relaxed, she would actually get more agitated. And so kind of on a whim, I played something really upbeat and kind of funny and like had some jokes in it. And she looked right at me and she smiled. And this was the first time I think I, I had certainly seen her smile on the entire admission thus far. 
And so I realized like this kid is ready to play. She's ready for a shift. She is ready for party time. And so we created in this room super high stimulation because um, that was what she needed. So her mom would do like massage and like stretching with her, moving her legs around, singing. I would play my guitar. Sometimes my child life colleague would come in and dance. Um, and we would just create this like really big, fun atmosphere. And she would smile. She would laugh. She would look at us. We were seeing these responses that we weren't sure that she was capable of before. So coming back again, we'll tie it into the title of our presentation. Um, how is this essential for healthcare beyond just this patient? So how can we also show her team that this is something that she can do? And I remember one day, uh, this doctor came in and was like, Hey, can I do an exam? You know, really short, like while you're doing your session. And I was like, absolutely. But like only if you dance and he looked totally panicked and was like, no, thank you. And like booked it out of the room as fast as he could. And I was like, I didn't even get a chance to explain like why I was making that request, what I was thinking. He was like, nah, not my thing. Um, Totally fair. A few minutes later, the entire neurology team comes in. So kind of similar to Brianna's story earlier, there are about four providers and they were like, hey, we'd love to assess kind of where her cognitive function is today. And I said, absolutely. But like only if you dance, like we're creating something here and like, I need you to be a part of it. And they very quickly were like, yeah, sure. Okay. Like we were upset. Um, and I explained, you know, this is not me like trying to put you on the spot or like an arbitrary request. Um, I really think you're going to see something here that you might not see otherwise. And so I got, this is one of my proudest moments in my career, I got the entire neurology team to like dance around and they made total fools out of themselves in like the best possible way. And the kid was, I mean, it like lit up. She was having the time of her life. She was smiling. She laughed. She looked at each one of them. She nodded a couple of times. She vocalized briefly and they were thrilled. I was thrilled. And I really, I think this was an assessment. I know this was an assessment they would not have gotten if they'd come in another time during the day. Um, I don't know that they would have seen that this is something that she's capable of. This is um, a kid who really is in there and a kid who can participate in her environment. And um, she ended up transferring to another hospital um, partway through kind of her course. And actually, her mom was concerned, like, how do I advocate for her and show her team what she can do? And so we ended up recording a couple of our sessions so that mom could have the video with her and show her team, her doctors, her future teachers this is my kid and she's in there and she loves music and like she's more than you might see and I, I think as a society oftentimes when we see someone who does not communicate with language it, it's just it's very easy to make assumptions about what their intellectual level is what is their cognitive level how much can they participate how much do they know what's going on and i find that more often than not really every time with these patients, I, they're capable of more than, than I, than we initially realized. And I think music can be a really nice way of showing that. So, I know that's a lot. I'll give you kind of a second with that. Um, I want to shift a little bit over to play, which is obviously a part of that story and play. I personally believe is one of the best things we do as people. Um, it's, it's the core of what we do. It is how children learn and grow. Kids need play. It is the most crucial part of their development. Um, it's my little soapbox. And uh, it's how they learn about their environment. It's how they grow. It's how they develop social connections. I think it's also how adults, you know, grow and have joy and process our experiences. And music can do this. It facilitates the, the joy. We never want to let go of that piece. Like all of what we do is fun and joyful and beautiful. Um, and also the processing piece of what's going on. What am I experiencing? Um, 
And so uh, another patient I worked with um, in the past year, this is a six-year-old who um, came in, she was uh, having issues with her kidney and her bladder and a number of other kind of impacts on her system that took a while to kind of figure out the best uh, mode of treatment. And one day, so we would, she would incorporate a lot of her dolls or stuffed animals or toys into our, into our sessions. We would sing to them. We would sing with them. We would have dance parties with all the things. And one day she brought out a doll and picked up a Q-tip that was like on the table and just started to whack the doll on the head with it, like as hard as she could. And I said, uh, what you doing there? And let's see if any of y'all can guess. Um, she goes, oh, I'm giving her a COVID test. And I was like, yeah, yep, I'm sure that is how that feels to you. That is a rough thing. And uh, I said, you know, can we do anything to help your doll feel better while she's getting her COVID test? And she said, well, we can sing to her. And this became uh, kind of the, the ongoing um, whatever, like the, the flow of our sessions was that she would do procedures on her doll, um, COVID tests. She did surgery one day. She did dressing changes, blood draws, um, tube feeds, all of these things that she was experiencing that she got to do. And this is a pretty typical thing that kids do, right? They play out their experiences where they switch the roles. She got to be the one in control. She got to pretend to be the doctor. And we would sing to the doll to help the doll get through it. And I would also see my patient would kind of, you could see her calm and her come down during those times. And one day, because of all of this, it came out, she sang this very angry song. She goes, we need to be mad at the doll because the doll was bad. And we sing this whole song about anger and bad. And, you know, she's hitting the doll and then all of this anger is coming out. And I said, why was the doll bad? And she goes, I don't know, but that's why she's sick. She's sick because she was bad. Just to kind of sit with that for a minute, right? Like this was what this kid thought that the reason she had been sick was because she had been bad and she didn't understand that. And so through future songs, future play, we kind of reframed that that like she didn't do anything wrong. The doll didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes we get sick and it happens. Um, and all of this really came out in her songs and in her play. Let's see. Okay, so one other kind of piece here um, is the idea of self-concept, which is a phrase you may have heard. Um, it's basically your identity, how you see yourself, how other people see you, how you think other people see you, which may be different. And uh, if you look at, so one of my favorite theorists of development is this guy, Eric Erickson. Um, he's great. I just love him. I could do a whole presentation on that. And uh, he basically came up with these stages across the lifespan of psychosocial development, and that there's there's a task that you have to complete at each stage, and if you do it successfully, um, it builds toward this kind of positive identity, positive self-concept and agency, and if you don't, it kind of sets you back in certain ways. And so if you look at kind of across the stages, some of the common themes, uh, things like trust, things like autonomy and control, um, feeling agency over your environment, developing healthy social re relationships with peers, uh, feeling safe, feeling competent, feeling capable. These are kind of like the, the ongoing themes. Pretty much all of that can be disrupted in a hospital setting. And so we often look in our work at how can we help address those things and help kids feel successful agency. You've heard a lot of examples already of this. Um, I think also about, uh, the groups in this picture, right? And we do groups with kids of all ages. Um, Brianna does a couple groups with caregivers uh, to also help them facilitate interactions. We do skill building, we do projects where patients can feel like they're moving forward with something and helping them explore their identity. And so I wanna show one more uh, little case example that kind of, I think ties together 
all of these three themes, looking at nonverbal, looking at play, and looking at self-concept. This was an older elementary school girl who came in uh, emergently into our ICU um, by air. And she had had a diagnosed with a chronic illness as a baby, but had been very stable for most of her life. So she'd had a few hospital stays that were generally planned or for very short times. This was the first time she'd had to emergently come to the hospital. There was a lot of anxiety and stress, I think, among the whole family. And when I got the referral, both the team and, and her family were kind of like, she's okay. She's coping okay. She's quieter than normal. She's not really talking to us a whole lot. Um, she's usually very social, very outgoing, um, but she seems all right. And so I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity for music. Let's see if there's more there. Maybe there is something that she has to say to us. And um, I think about a lot about Brianna's first story about the kind of directing the room. And this was very much this kid jumped very quickly into that and assigning instruments and kind of how could she have control over what, who was doing what. Um, this is also our skill set as music therapists is creating a container where there's structure. It's not like totally open ended, um, but she still had a lot of flexibility to explore. And I'll tell you my one like embarrassing early career story. Um, when I first started out, I tried to do a songwriting exercise with a group of teenagers. And I was like, let's just start from scratch. Like empty chalkboard. What do y'all want to write a song about? How should it sound? Kid had to leave the room. It was just the biggest disaster I've ever seen. And that was a really big uh, learning thing for me of like, no, like we need to have some structure and there can still be a lot of open flexibility. So for this kid, I used a lot of my own skills to kind of craft the music. And she then wanted to add words and just went. So again, great example of flow state. In one of the first iterations of her song, you can see version one, she sang about flying to the hospital for the first time. And I think someone had reframed it for her as like, how cool you got to fly here. And actually, she was quite aware during that flight. She heard her mom praying for her. She was very scared. Um, and this was not something she'd articulated yet, but it came out in her song. So we were able to then also talk with her family and have her family understand and the medical team understand this was a traumatic experience for her. She can't be excited about it yet. Um, in her second iteration of her song, I see a lot of self-talk in this verse. Maybe she's talking to like an imaginary kid that's in the hospital in the future, but also I think reassuring herself that like, it's going to be okay. I don't have to be scared. I will get better soon. And in subsequent songs that she, she, it was different every time we sang it. There was kind of this before, during, after, like what was life like at home? What was life like in the hospital? And then what was it going to be like when she got to go home again? Uh, so let's go to the next slide. I'll get, play an audio clip and you'll see the words that you can follow along. Wishing to the star again Wishing on a star 
Super, super sweet. Um, just a couple things to note that you might have noticed. You can hear even just like the tone of her voice, the volume changing from the first part to the second. She also, we came up with a cue. She wanted, she told me she wanted the music to change at some point. Um, and each time that was when she would sing about the healthy part, her feeling better. So she played really loud on the xylophone and then I would start to kind of like, and you can hear that excitement coming in of like, I'm getting better. And I think, I mean, there's plenty more we could say. One other, a really fast note. So this was like right at the beginning of COVID, if I'm remembering this right. And siblings were allowed to visit one day and they weren't the next um, very real thing we all went through. And so I think there was also a big piece of like wanting her family to be around and wanting to be home um, and the hospital bed. Everyone hates the hospital beds. They're very uncomfortable. So she really latched onto that as like being in her regular bed was going to be the symbol of things being better and being home. All right, I'll stop it there. I'll throw it over to Matt for some more from him. Jenny, I love that, that example and that song because it kind of sets up um, an analogy I'm about to make that I feel is maybe a little bit clunky, but I feel more confident in it because of that. And uh, it's this. Um, <laughs> being a music therapist is kind of like being a race car driver. Now, kind of hang hang with me on this. So you see on the left of of your screen, it's like a, maybe a Honda Accord. It's a lovely vehicle. Um, you can get a lot of mileage out of it. Uh, it's, it serves a purpose, and it could be fun to drive, you know. And and um, and it's great. And then on the right, you've got a race car, and a race car driver, you know, knows how to drive a, an Accord, but also knows about everything that's under the hood knows about you know what's going on the with the engine how the gears are tuned how the tires function and how all of these things interact with road conditions um it's still a car it's still a vehicle uh, and a powerful one but when you have this depth of knowledge about um everything that goes into this vehicle, in our case, obviously the metaphor here is music. Uh, it can be used to get to point B faster. So I don't really want to talk about cars. I don't even watch racing, but I've got a question for um, uh, all of our dear participants. What makes up music? What goes into music? And uh, please use the chat for this. I'll throw out one element just to get it going. Um, rhythm. What else? Hosts, you're welcome. Emotion. Yeah, good. 
Thanks, Leslie. What else? You can you can um, write one. You can write more than one. Hosts, you're welcome to uh, participate as well. Melody, yeah. Lyrics, yep. Silence. Ooh, I like that one. That's great. Instruments. Let's get a couple more. What else? What What are the component pieces, parts of music? Okay, five, four, three, two, one, all done. Okay, so music, as it turns out, has a ton. I mean, so many things make up music. And in fact, if you talk to the folks over at Pandora at the um, Music Genome Project, they they like categorize music based on more than 400 different uh, kind of core, uh, maybe those aren't the core elements, but different categories of, of, of descriptors, ways you can describe music. So there's rhythm, there's melody, talked about there's dynamics there's timbre that's how an instrument sounds um there's complexity versus simplicity there are the lyrics there's the melody there's the harmony there's the key that that song exists in um there's all of the emotions yeah pitch very good there's all of the emotions um attached to a piece of music why is a minor chord considered to be more sad and a major chord considered to be more happy especially a major seven chord um and then there's the environment that this is existing within too like the physical space that all of the music is um you know occurring within so you think of Davies Symphony Hall versus um, a tiny DIY punk rock venue. You know, the acoustics are just a little bit different. Uh, and so by knowing this, and you, you heard some incredible examples in the song just before, uh, Jenny had a strong sense of what key that you heard um, the little girl playing a, an instrument along with it. So Jenny's got to support that and play in the same key. You also heard her reflecting lyrics back to her to emphasize um, important lyrical concepts. You also heard the tempo changing. You heard the dynamics changing with the energy of the song. And so all that is to say that by, by having um, an automatic command over all of these different musical elements, uh, we can fully support a patient in whatever goal it is, whatever that point B is, whatever we're trying to get in our therapy session, we can fully support that musically while still staying completely present with um, the patient. Okay? What do you guys think? Did that metaphor work? Did you follow me? You can let me know in the chat. <laughs> you can tell me to go back to the drawing board. Um, at any rate, I'm going to go to the next slide and let Jenny uh, pop back in here. It worked for me. I like that metaphor. Um, okay, I guess. So I'm going to talk a little bit more um, kind of about how we envision our program, the goals, and a little bit more about some of the interventions that we do. Uh, this is like the four pillars of music therapy at our hospital that the three of us came up with together um, that really encompasses all, if not almost all, uh, or almost all, if not all, of, of the work that we do. So I want to start with the idea of an optimal state. Uh, oftentimes we have patients who come to us and they're in a heightened state that could be pain. It could be agitation. It could be anxiety. And, uh, we are consulted to help kind of bring them down from that. 
So I think the maybe what might come to mind first, and maybe you've experienced this when you're feeling really stressed or worried or anxious or in pain, is mellow, right? How do we listen to music that is kind of relaxed and calm? Um, and sometimes that's the case. Sometimes we need to meet ourselves at that high level first and then come down. We also have patients who need to yell and scream and hit a drum or play an instrument and maybe have a higher stimulation um, environment in order to have them reach whatever the optimal state is for them. Uh, I also think of many of our patients who might be overly fatigued or maybe their sleep-wake cycle has started to get, um, what's the word, reversed. <laughs> and so we may want to keep them more awake or if they have a lower level of arousal that we want to bring up. So it's figuring out what is kind of the, the level, the balance, I'm going like this a lot, but I think you know what I mean, uh, that will help them reach the state that they're that they're looking for. And going back to that great slide that Matt had earlier on, you know, lower stress is crucial for physical health. And the lower the stress, the more patients can engage in their care, the more caregivers, parents, um, whoever's with the, the patient in the hospital, the more they can engage and be regulated themselves. So we do a lot of support for caregivers. I also think this, of this for our staff who are also, especially over the last year plus, have been in a heightened state along with us, I think, just the whole way through. And, you know, how can we use music to also support them? And uh, looking at pain, um, and this is something the, the Osher Center does really, really well, uh, the really the, the, the working model now, um, especially for pediatrics, but I think for all ages, is that, you know, oftentimes we need a pharmacological component. And the non-pharmacological component is just as crucial. And it is those things working in conjunction that are sort of optimal for pain control. And I will say that I think music therapy is the best non-pharmacological pain uh, option, especially for the kids in our hospital, because we can do so many different things with it. Looking at resilience, so if you think of optimal states being kind of the in-the-moment work we do, resilience might be a little more of ongoing. So are we teaching skills that a patient can take with them? Are we reframing the hospital experience, right? Making it a place where there's joy, where there's progress, where there's love, where there's happiness. Um, countering, I mean, there's a lot of literature coming out on how we look at adverse experiences throughout the lifetime and especially throughout children and how we can counter that using positive experiences. And so this is something that music therapy can absolutely do. Um, I think about a lot of, again, tying this back to self-concept, a lot of our patients, uh, so I work on our general medical floor where we have a lot of new diagnoses coming through. Um, teenagers with uh, kidney disease, liver disease, with GI um, conditions, with eating disorders, patients who have new diagnosis of diabetes, um, and so many more. And many times these are patients who have a really strong identity of being an active person outside of the hospital, right? Maybe they were an athlete, maybe they were an actor, maybe they, um, I can't think of any other good examples right now, but they did something that involved a lot of activity. And they then find out with us that like, actually, you're not gonna be able to do that for a while. And that can be a huge, um, a huge shift, not only in just like the, the social connections and the fun and the things they enjoy, but also in like their very identity. So I do a lot of work with these kids around um, what else makes them who they are and can they learn new skills, whether it's using music or art or writing or other creative expression to kind of connect with that piece of themselves and recognize that like they can be more than what they used to do 
and they will hopefully get back to that activity. But in the meanwhile, um, maybe ukulele is their thing for a little while or something like that. Looking at um, development, so that's like, I mean, all of these are kind of huge, but I feel like this especially, uh, development is affected for all ages in the hospital um, in so many ways. Uh, And I think we've touched on this a little bit kind of throughout If you think about babies and toddlers, especially, so um, these are kids, I mean, they're, they're, they're sponges, we like to say, right? Like they are, this is such a critical period of learning and growth and development, and they are taking in so much from their environment. And here, maybe they can't be held as much. Maybe they can't get out of bed as much. Maybe um, they've been so sick and they've had to be sedated for a period of time that now everything is kind of shifted a little bit later in their development. They're learning things at month six that maybe they would have done at month three beforehand. Um, And so music is huge for this age range. And in being a multi-sensory experience, working on language, working on fine motor control, tracking gross motor, Um, even just giving positive stimulation. Uh, I think someone gave the example before of like skin to skin caregiver bonding. So it can be really hard for caregivers to bond with their children in a hospital environment and even for kids to develop a healthy attachment, right? So let's say you have a kid who has a really painful procedure and maybe their caregiver can't be there to pick them up afterwards and hug them. Or maybe the caregiver is there, but because of the lines and whatever they're connected to, they can't be picked up. So how can we be creative and use therapeutic touch and use music and use other ways to connect um, so that we're still instilling that that healthy attachment and sense of trust and also trust with the whole medical team? And then even moving, I mean, all the way through young adulthood and elementary school age kids, how can we help them progress toward their developmental goals? So having social interaction through Zoom groups or groups in person, hopefully soon, eventually, when things are okay to do that again. Um, working on similar to resilience like teenagers their whole thing is social right like that's their whole task is to like figure out their own identity and who they want to be and try on lots of different so for us to be able to give them the opportunity to creatively express themselves and connect with other teens in the hospital is is just crucial um and i'm sure there's like so much more but we'll we'll pause there for now we'll have some chance for for more later um And then the last kind of pillar of our program is rehabilitation. So I I think the majority of the patients in our hospital receive some kind of rehabilitation services during their stay. That could be physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy. It could be all of those. We have an intensive kind of inpatient rehab program. But basically, this is looking at regaining skills, whether it is um, uh, physical, speech, cognitive, any of those things all put together. And I like to look at this kind of in two areas, one being motivation and one being the the more the cognitive piece. And if you think about motivation, I mean, I'm sure you've gotten the sense like we are really cool people and like really fun to be around. And uh, in all seriousness, uh, music can be really fun and a highly motivating activity for a lot of our kids. And so like Brianna's story about walking toward the drum in the hallway, um, I had a kid recently who loves to scare people. Like that's his thing. He just walks up to you and says, boo. I guess we're really excited when people like have a big reaction. And so I would stand with my back to him and play guitar and the physical just up behind me. And he'd be saying boo the whole way, but I wouldn't turn around. And when he got right behind me, he'd yell boo and I would jump and I'd stop playing the guitar and he would laugh so much. And that was how we got him to walk up and down the hallway. 
which also helped him get home, right? Because he couldn't go home until he could safely move. Um, and so there's kind of this motivation piece and then the cognitive piece, which this could be like an entire lecture on its own. So I'll give you like the neuroscience 101 version, which is basically music is not localized to one part of the brain and all the imaging studies that have been done, it lights up everywhere. And one of the reasons that can be so effective, and we're learning more and more about the plasticity of the brain um, and how much we're able to regain skills and regain abilities after um, brain injury, um, because music is not localized to one area, that's one of the theories of why it can be so effective. And you have patients that can sing before they can speak. And I've seen it, I mean, 10 or more times or patients who can sing phrases of songs that they remember more easily than they can articulate. Um, also thinking about motor planning. So I, if you ever, I don't know if any of you like to walk, uh, listening to music on your headphones or maybe on a treadmill, having music going, you might notice that you start to like, um, your, your gait starts to match the beat of the music. And if you haven't experienced this, give it a try because it, it happens. And uh, we call that entrainment. So that's also a, a very biological cognitive process that's happening. And we can use that to encourage um, gait development and gait training in patients. So maybe that means as they're walking in the hallway, we're playing on a drum or we're playing a guitar or some music that they love, like blasting at top volume. I've done that with a couple of teenagers before. And we work on like entraining their gait and that can also help them um, with their ongoing movement. So I think maybe that's a good place to pause because I mean, this, there's so much, so much we could say, but I will uh, hand it back to Matt. He'll kind of tie some of this together. All right. Hi everybody. I'm back. You can see the sun is going down. Let me switch slides here. So we've, we've spoken with you about what we do and also shared a lot of the science behind it. And as our culture becomes more and more scientifically enlightened, you know, we were just always looking to understand, to better understand the underlying mechanisms um, of all these, uh, some would say transcendent phenomena. And it's all well-intentioned and that's, it's a good thing that we're doing that. Um, and, you know, at the same time, uh, one thing that I, I don't want to do that we don't want to do is, separate ourselves from some of that mystery and awe that has been associated with music for so long. So even though we're operating under scientific principles and we're an evidence-based practice, um, music still is, is the magic hasn't gone away and the science science of it has not, to me, it makes it even more magical and, and mysterious um, what we're able to do. And, and we see it on a day-to-day -day basis. We've, we've worked with, the three of us have worked with people of all ages, and we still um, have those moments that, you know, send a little shiver down the spine. You know, it's that, that moment when somebody emerges from a coma while you're singing um, a familiar song, or it's the first smile uh, in days that you get from a little girl going through chemotherapy, like intensive chemotherapy. It's it, witnessing a teen who's just uh, endured incredible tragedy and somehow transmute that into a masterpiece um, composition or even an improvisation, uh, just this beautiful form of expression. It's seeing, it's seeing 
you know, the father with Alzheimer's who stands up to dance with their daughter who just moments before they didn't recognize. Um, there's mystery in, you know, that, that patient young or old who takes their last breaths. Um, while the family and the music therapist are singing that favorite song. And so, you know, there, there's still a lot that can't be explained. And there are a lot of talented researchers who are doing incredible work. Um, I guess I just wanted to save space to acknowledge that there are still, still plenty of files in that filing, in the filing cabinet, you know, labeled mystery. And there's still a lot to understand. And even though we've all been doing this for years and there are music therapists who've been doing it a lot longer, um, still a lot we don't know, but it's pretty darn effective. I think every single day, I think about the mystery of the incredible work that we do and lives that we get to change using music. And yeah, that's definitely still something I think about is the mystery of the power of music. So now that you've seen how we use music in the hospital setting with our patients and our families, I wanted to also share some ways that you can use music to help decrease stress and elevate your mood during this time. One way is by dancing, by moving your body to music. It can be with structured dance. You do not have to be Beyonce in order to dance. I mean, if you are more power to you, but it could be also structure dance, like folk dancing, line dancing, square dancing. You can look up tutorials on YouTube or online or to learn new dances. Or you could just do dancing that isn't structured. Just move your body in a way that feels good to music. This is good to um, set off some good endorphins, elevate your mood, and also move your body at the same time. Also, listening to music that brings you back to positive times and brings back good memories. I think for myself, it's 90s music because I just remember roller skating and having such a great time with my friends, but that's different for everybody. Also music that relaxes me, that kind of helps me wind down from the day. That's gonna be different for everybody. I think there's this huge misconception that relaxing music equals very slow classical music or music that you listen to at the spa. And there is no research out there that indicates that. Relaxing music is whatever relaxing music is to you and what you like to listen to. So please don't feel like you have to follow this rule or whatever rules made up that like, if I wanna relax, I must listen to Beethoven or classical music. Listen to what fills you up and helps you relax. And that may be totally different from person to person. Also expanding your horizons on what music you do listen to, especially now during COVID, I feel like I listen to more music than ever at home. And I'm learning so much about these different genres that I never knew about before. Also getting recommendations from my friends about what they're listening to. And it's just opened my eyes, this whole other world of music that I didn't even know existed. So I wanted to take a moment to put in the chat you know, I don't know if anyone's going to be reaching out to their friends. So I thought we could support each other. Put in the chat if you feel comfortable. One genre that you would recommend to other people that we could explore or a band that you've discovered that you really enjoy that you think others might like. So feel free to put in the chat at this time um, something that you would recommend. And I know myself, I think in our music therapy office, we're going to be playing some of these jams to expand our, you know, our musical preferences. Ooh, love that. Thank you, Anne. Great. So I'll keep it open. The jazz plays on Spotify. Yep. That's great. Spotify is great. Electric Light Orchestra. Jenny, that sounds like something you and I would love. 
the tiny, oh, that's Jenny, Jenny Desk concerts. I was going to say, Jenny, you would love that too. Yes, James Taylor's greatest hits. All right, Matt and Jenny, I think our office Spotify list is going to get a little bit more exciting. Rock and roll. I love it. There's such a variety of music on here. Perfect. All right, I hope my colleagues are writing these down so we can add these too. But please keep putting in artists or different music that you like to listen to. And I'm, I think it'd be great to look these up. She can a lot of online dance classes and I've been introduced to hip hop and country Western. Yes, and cumbia. Oh, I love this. We have such a great variety. Ooh, I might have to look this folk music up. These are so incredible. Thank you all so much. Oh, Mary Chapin Carpenter, one of my faves. Okay. I think we're all going to be great friends. These are such great recommendations. Thank you all for sharing. So if you feel comfortable, you can go ahead and listen to some of these songs and these bands and recordings and see what speaks to you. There's no harm in doing that as well. Um, so that's listening to music. Also taking lessons. I love that you took online dance classes. That's awesome. I'm super, super jealous. Oh, we can't see all of them. Okay, I think we'll have to maybe compile all of them and we'll stick it out to everybody. Maybe one of my colleagues can do that or I could do that as well. Well, we'll figure out how to compile them, Jenny says. Perfect. We'll compile all of them and share all of them um, in just a moment. Um, so for lessons, I see lots of on Sunday online Sundance Saloon. Oh my goodness, this is great. So um, for taking lessons, if you don't play an instrument, it is never too late to play and learn a new instrument. You can do guitar, piano, keyboard, whatever floats your boat. Um, I would recommend ukulele. You can be extremely successful with just a couple of chords and you can learn hundreds and hundreds of songs. There's also so many different resources out there that um, you can learn for free, which is great. So I would really suggest learning a new instrument at this time. Oh, very, very cool. It says at the beginning of the pandemic, I took online how to read music. That's a great course. So there's definitely courses out there too. And Zoom online piano lessons at 76 on my high school piano. I love that. Absolutely. Now, there's no time like the present to learn something new. Also, social music making experiences. Although during COVID, it can be a little bit difficult to make music with other people, but you can also share music with other people. So if you do a Zoom, kind of like an open mic, I think like a coffee shop kind of style, you each go around and play something for other people. It's great to play for others, but then also to support your friends as well in music making experiences. So finding creative ways to do that and also supporting the arts in our community. So there's more outdoor Art galleries coming out that if you feel comfortable going to those as well. And I know more outdoor concerts are becoming more and more popular um, that are very safe that you can maybe just listen to from afar. So supporting our arts in any way that we can. All right. And if Matt, if you wouldn't mind going to the next slide, please. Perfect. Thank you. All right, so to learn more about our program, we invite you to subscribe to our newsletter using the QR code on the screen. So in order to access this, you're gonna take out your phone, you're gonna go to the camera app, you're just gonna hold that 
up to the up to the screen where the QR code is and it will automatically scan it and take you to um, a website where you can sign up for our newsletter. It's a creative arts newsletter that we write every single month that send out and it will just keep you up to date on what we're doing here in our program, some patient stories, songs that we're doing and that we've written with patients and families. Um, just a great resource to learn more about our program. To also go to our blog um, underneath where it says bchcreativearts.org, um, you can go ahead and poke around our blog, see more about our bios, and just see more of our website about us and the program that we have. Many people ask how we're funded. We are funded through donations that helps us sustain our program. So the blog is also where you find more information about donations and how to donate. We also wanted to end with another example about music therapy services that we provide here at the hospital. So we're lucky enough to provide music therapy at the beginning of life. I work in our intensive care nursery, which is pretty much the same thing as a NICU. And I have worked with patients the day they are born and at 28 weeks and they're put on their caregiver's chest and we do music to support bonding. But also we have the privilege of being in the room and to use music in order to support patients at the end of life or while they're actively dying. So we provide sometimes live music in the room while we play guitar and sing in the room while they're being taken off of life support. Also providing music to, or to help support reminiscence with the family in the room. Um, but another intervention that we can provide is something called heartbeat recording. And this is done by, we have a stethoscope that we have a microphone inside of, and we record the patient's heartbeat. We then loop the heartbeat and we use that heartbeat to create more like a drum beat on the track. And then we layer music, which is us playing guitar and singing on top of it, using a song of the family's choice over the heartbeat. So although some of the families that we work with may not be able to leave the hospital with their loved one, with music therapy, they get to leave the hospital with a piece of their loved one using music therapy. So we're going to go ahead and play an example of a heartbeat recording that was put together by uh, my colleagues, Matt and Jenny. And I want to also note that the heartbeat recording that we hear is not of the patient that's on the screen. This little one was... Um, being promoted from our NICU and going home. So it is not of that child. That's his graduation day. That's why he has his graduation hat on. Um, and just to give you an idea of what you're gonna be hearing, a little roadmap, um, you might wanna turn your volume up because it can be a little bit soft at the beginning. It will fade in with the heartbeat and that's the beat that you'll hear in the background. You'll then hear Matt playing guitar and then Jenny is singing a song that was chosen by the family that was something that was very important to them. So Matt, would you please play the heartbeat recording? Some 
And that, I believe, is the end of our presentation. Um, uh, so with that, we will open this up for some questions. I think we've got about 10 minutes. Is that right? So I, so I just wanted to say how touched I am by your work. Um, I love finding each person's like superpower, and it just seems like you find all the pathways to kind of carve into you know, finding out who people are. And so thank you for that and this really immersive uh, presentation. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having us and for helping us share our message and get the, getting this out and helping people understand how um, important this is in, in hospitals everywhere. Yeah, so I want to open it up to any questions that you can put in the chat and I can help to moderate, but it sounds like uh, the team is taking the chat really well already, but I can maybe start with one. Um, how has your day-to-day -day and your world at work changed during COVID? Like what has stayed the same? What has changed? I think Brianna, well, I'm going to, here, I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to let uh, one of my colleagues, whichever one jumps in. You go first, Brown. Um, I think it has definitely impacted our day-to-day, -to, -day, to say the least, but I feel like we've really improvised and gone with the flow, which has been really rewarding to be able to see. And I think we've opened doors to things we never thought were possible. Um, I know Jenny was talking about this a little bit earlier, but many of our groups that we've done to encourage socialization um, couldn't happen because of COVID. And um, so we adapted and many of our groups are now offered over Zoom. And it's been great because we're able to see more patients than we ever could before. Patients that never could have come to our groups before because they couldn't leave their room are now being able to be part of our groups and have music making experiences together, which is wonderful. And in addition, since I mainly work with infants, we're able to do as Jenny mentioned, the one in the hallway, that group is now online because now I can take off my mask and infants can now see my face, which is also helping support development and growth for these infants. So although this has been um, a definite challenge, it's something that I think we've all worked around. And um, it's been really great to look back and see how far we've come from hearing that you cannot go into patients' rooms and you need to shift everything the way that you're doing it. Agreed. And check out our blog and our newsletter because we've got some really interesting articles that we've written, I think, over the last year um, that illustrate more in detail some of the, the changes we've gone through because it's been um, 
something else. Um, Corey, yeah, this it's so real. The lag, um, we have not solved that problem. Um, I will say that the audio quality on Zoom has improved significantly since when we started a year or so ago. So there's a lot more we can do in terms of making sure that acoustically things sound well, like sound good. Um, but I'll tell you when I do my group for older kids, <clears throat> I mute them while we make music. And that way they can sing along and they hear me. And then we unmute in between songs. And then that's when we do more talking. So also rather than like playing and being like, what animals next? I come up with all the animals ahead of time. And then we sing about all the animals, you know, like it's a slightly different flow than we might've done before. Um, and then maybe I can speak to part of Kay's question. You guys might have things to comment on as well. Um, that's a great comment. I don't, can everybody see the Q and A, I think? Maybe not. Okay. So the question was, um, <clears throat> the description of optimal states um, being similar to the idea of the window of tolerance that we talk about in psychotherapy, um, which I think is such a great um, comparison there. And um, the question was about, are there specific music therapy techniques used with trauma? And I think um, this has been a big uh, piece of, I know this is a big piece of my education in my master's program was learning trauma-informed care. And I think we all operate under that premise and also especially working in a hospital environment, but really anywhere that we always sort of assume that trauma is possible and how do we use that framework? And um, something I think about, so a lot of what we talked about in terms of metaphor, I often go there first with patients, um, especially being in a hospital setting, we think about how this might be short-term. So how much do we open up versus if I were working with a patient as their primary therapist long-term, I might go a little bit more in depth with them. So being very conscious of that, which I think is just therapy in general, not so much music, but maybe starting with active music making, then doing um, some work through metaphor, a more or less direct approach, and then working into, is it possible to get to that really direct work while they're with us, or is that going to be for later? Um, also, there's certain things that are contraindicated with patients with extreme trauma. So I may not do um, guided imagery, um, or specific guided imagery, because I don't know what might be triggering for them. So I would be very hesitant to be like, I want you to picture a beach because that could be a source of incredible stress. So if we are doing guided imagery with music, um, also finding out what kind of music, maybe not starting with the slowest or the, the music that has the least elements. Um, oftentimes I have patients that say, I can't meditate. I will never be able to meditate. Um, and I get it because it's really hard for me sometimes, um, with the way my brain is wired. So, um, how can we use music as a tool for calmer states and maybe, um, working on, let's listen to one song for three minutes and they can even watch the, the, um, I don't know what it's called, the little ticker go, right? So they they know how much time is involved and they know that it's going to stop. And can you just, you know, sit quietly and listen and focus on the music for this amount of time? So ways to add in a positive stimulation and not just have silence. Um, but feel free to hit me up by email. I'm happy to chat more because this is something I think about a lot. I love the comment that came through from Kitty. Uh, I get, it was just a panelist, so I'll, I'll read it so everybody can... Um... Uh, maybe you'll probably, you might have a similar experience. So Kitty said, music worked for my mom when she would curl my hair when I was little. If we didn't sing together, I wouldn't let her touch my hair. <laughs> yeah. Music can be great for, um, well, definitely that, that dyadic relationship, but also 
uh, routine and and lots of different routines. I've worked with kids who well only brush their teeth or you know do another task um, if it's paired with something uh, like music uh, or specific songs paired to specific activities that needed to be done, much like uh, brushing hair, curling hair, uh, things like that. Yeah, music on Zoom is weird, huh? It's um, it has certainly been a challenge. Singing together is just not really an option. If you ever see a, a like a YouTube video of everybody singing or playing together, and they're all in these different squares, it's a fake. <laughs> they recorded them all, all the videos separately, and then um, combined them. Uh, there's just real. I just don't think that can even happen yeah and we've done some of that where we recorded separately and put it all together but uh but yeah not on zoom i just remember when like i think there was a hamilton video that came out like early pandemic and i think it was a couple staff members came up to me and they were like so you can do this and i was like no, no, no like none of that's real <laughs> like none of that happened in the moment um but we've made it work you know and i i mean Kids love dancing on screen with their stuffed animals. Like we do show and tell now as part of our music groups. I did a song where a character brushed their teeth and we had a sibling at home and she went and grabbed her toothbrush and started brushing her teeth on screen. It was amazing. That would never happen otherwise. So it, it's, it works. But yes, musically, we change a lot, a lot of things. I want to read one last um, comment that also just went to panelists uh, from Corey. My wife... Uh, was a baby cuddler at UCSF and she introduced the song Eleanor to a family whose baby was so named. They'd never heard of it and now it's their group anthem. Is that Eleanor by the Turtles? Eleanor G, I think you're grand. It's fantastic. Yeah, awesome. I love that song. Do you have experience using music intervals to help refocus a task and get on with it with adults? Like specific intervals, like a major third or like a, uh, like using a perfect fifth for a cue. Oh, oh, like, um, got it. I think I, I, I get what you mean. Like a little, uh, okay. I was thinking musically, Jenny, you're nodding a lot. Maybe I'll let you answer that quickly. Like a transition or to kind of take a break and come back to it. It's kind of what I'm thinking you're, you're talking about. Yeah, I was just nodding because I was like, oh, I see what you're saying now. That's all. Yeah, all the time. Musical cues and quick pump up music or whatever will be helpful in the moment. I mean, yeah, I feel like I do that all the time. I do that for myself. Timeouts to play piano. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure this is a musical group, uh, whether you're playing music or listening to it. And um, I just think that's really commendable and admirable with all of the other, uh, you know, types of stimuli that are available now and everything that's out there. Um, you know, sometimes I see families that forget about music, you know, so uh, keep it up, spread the spread the word. And um, thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.